From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Refractive Surgery and Corneal Biomechanics, Part 2. The anterior cornea is stronger than the posterior cornea, and it's not a linear decrease. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. This is part two of my interview with Dan Reinstein about ablation and corneal biomechanics. We pick up where we left off last time. Up until this point, um, everything that, that, that we've been talking about has been sort of preamble. Let me, let me ask you something a little bit more to the, to, the, to the meat of the matter here. What is cohesive and tangential strength of stroma, and how does it relate to LASIK and to PRK? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not terribly important to know the difference between those two, other than to know that um, you can measure the, you know, measuring the strength the, the, the biomechanical, the mechanical strength of a material, um, you can do it in, in, in more than one direction. And cohesive tensile strength uh, is the strength, if, if you like, if you pinched the front of the cornea and pinched the back of the cornea and pulled, that is cohesive tensile. It's the cohesion between the mother planes. And the tangential strength would be if you pinched one limbus of the cornea and the other limbus of the cornea and pulled in that uh, pulled the cornea in that direction, so that, that's those are the two tensile strengths. Um, you 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 in our in our paper, our biomechanics paper from last year, we plotted both. One was actually the the raw data that we were using to to derive our biomechanical model. This was the cohesive tensile strength as measured in the Brad Randleman study, um, which was also published in JRS a few years before. Uh, but we also included um, the figure from Scarcelli's paper, who uses Brillon interferometry to measure the tangential strength of the stroma of the cornea in vivo. And what we were trying to show was that whether you're measuring it tangentially or cohesively, the cornea behaves in the same way. In other words, the anterior cornea is stronger than the posterior cornea, and it's, and it's not a linear decrease in uh, biomechanical strength. It's actually a triphasic decrease. So the anterior stroma is quite a bit stronger than the middle of the stroma, um, which is pretty much similar strength and then the posterior stroma is weaker and drops off precipitously to zero. 
if you like, uh, when you exit the corner. So both of the, all of these graphs have like a sort of steep, flat, steep shape, both tangentially and um, cohesively uh, axially. So what we were saying is that uh, the fact that we've written this model only based on the cohesive data uh, doesn't invalidate it because it would have given us the same answers if we measured it the other way or if we had some other measure that combined both together. Now, how, how does this this relate to to PRK and to, and to LASIK? And, and PRK were ablating um, some of this, this tissue that has the highest um, uh, tangential, uh, hi- highest uh, biomechanical strength. And, and in LASIK, we're doing quite something else to it. Yeah, well, really the big difference between LASIK and PRK, well, there's two different. Obviously, one, in PRK, you're starting from the surface and removing only the number of microns from the center that you require to make the refractive change. In LASIK, you're starting beneath a flap of whatever thickness and then removing that same number of microns. So you're, by definition, going to remove more microns in a LASIK than in a PRK. Uh, even these days where we're able to, to make extremely thin flaps with the, for example, the Zeiss Visumax um, is able to, to you're, you're allowed to program an 80 micron flap, which means 30 microns of stroma. You're not adding that much. And yet, the difference comes from the second factor, which is that a LASIK flap includes a cut of the lamellae superficially way out in the periphery. And so the depth of cut, let's say the flap is uh, you know, 80, 90 microns, you've now cut 80, 90 microns in the periphery of the cornea. Whereas with, and then you've done the ablation in the center, that's fine. With PRK, the periphery of the ablation is at your six or six and a half millimeter zone wherever you finish ablating, not at the 10 millimeter zone where is the diameter of the flap. And so you're, you're cutting less deep in the periphery with PRK than you are with LASIK. And John Marshall, uh, with his group, one of his PhD students, uh, uh, Dr. Um, Knox Cartwright published a very elegant study. It was done at ex vivo eyes, but in a special model that John Marshall developed where he keeps um, the corneas alive for one month. I mean, completely normal. And you could do PRK on the cornea and it would heal like a normal cornea in three or four days. Um, and he took the, this model and using, again, an interferometer, uh, Michelson's interferometer to measure changes in stress in the cornea, he managed to show that side cuts performed in the cornea, so let's say a a 90-micron side cut or a 160-micron side cut would produce, uh, you know, a 30% increase in stress in the cornea, but a lamellar cut without a side cut, in other words, just cutting with with a femtosecond laser the plane of the flap, but not the side cuts of the flap, would hardly change the tensile strength of the corner. So what we know now is that it's the the 
it's how far out and how deep you cut the lamellae that leads to this peripheral expansion of tissue, which increases spherical aberration. And of course, hyperopic ablations are like a double whammy because you're cutting a flap in the periphery and ablating in the periphery. So all the tissue uh, depth is peripheral. Right. No, no, I follow what, what you're saying. So uh, with, with LASIK, we, uh, it sounds like we are getting a large compromise to the tangential strength. With PRK, to the extent that we're getting a compromise, it's primarily um, limited uh, to the central cornea, certainly to the, to the deepest part of the, of the, the, the treatment zone. Uh, how do these two sorts of treatments, how, how does the tangential strength relate to smile treatments? Well, before we go there, just point out here that we, I always like to do this because people tend to be a little alarmist the, when, they, when, they, when they take what we just said out of context. The cornea is left with less biomechanical tensile strength after LASIK than PRK. That is a correct statement. But we need to specify that that is not a bad thing because there is a reserve of tensile strength in the cornea for corneal health and corneal stability and no ectasia. And as we know, and after the 37, 8, 9 million LASIK procedures that have already been performed around the world to date, ectasia is a very rare occurrence. And so clearly the, the redundancy of tensile strength in the cornea is huge. And so while we have been reducing the um, total tensile strength of the cornea um, with LASIK more than we would have if we'd done more PRK, it's not a bad level of reduction, it's just more where it comes, so that's not the issue. The issue is that the more you cut down into the peripheral fibers, the more spherical aberration you induce. And that's the main issue. So with SMILE, small incision lenticule extraction, um, where, uh, just to recap for people who might not be aware of this procedure, a femtosecond laser cuts the lower and upper interfaces of a lens of tissue inside the cornea within the body of the stroma, and then a tunnel to the surface, and then this lenticule is dissected and removed through the small incision. Um, and therefore, the only cut to the surface is over a very small, I mean, in our, in our clinic, we use a two millimeter incision to access this plane at 135 microns from the surface where we, from which we remove the lenticle. And so you, you are doing a baricare keratinolysis, but you're doing it through a keyhole. And what this means is that there's no cut down, so we don't get as much peripheral tissue expansion, and we're not uh, denuding, let's say, the cornea of its anterior stroma, which is its strongest stroma, and we're affecting the curvature change using a lower value uh, currency. We're taking the tissue, the, the tissue away from weaker areas of the stroma and therefore again leaving the, the, the cornea with more biomechanical strength than previous. And so those facts 
relate to why it is that SMILE induces less spherical aberration for the same treatment zone that you would have treated in, and B, allows you to treat much higher levels of myopia because we know what our limits are with LASIK. They're based on biomechanical uh, experience, and those limits are much harder to reach with SMILE. You have to treat much higher levels of myopia to reach the same limits with SMILE. Um, so th that's where the biomechanical advantages of SMILE come in. We can, well, going back to what we talked about the, the early earliest part of, of the interview was how the larger the optical zone you treat and the less you induce spherical aberration in the optically active zone of the cornea, the six millimeter zone. So you can use larger zones which take more tissue, but you're still leaving the cornea stronger than if you'd even done a PRK because you're taking the tissue out from, you know, from deep inside the stroma rather than the superficial stroma. Uh, and you can treat much higher levels of myopia. I mean, in our, uh, one of our calculations, one of our examples is to show a, a, a cornea which was treated by LASIK with a 100 micron flap for minus 10, very thick cornea, leaving 300 microns in the bed. And this is with a, you know, fully modern optimized profile that reduces the induction of spherical aberration. And a happy patient. The cornea in that patient was left with 54%, sorry, 44% of its initial tensile strength. That's okay. That cornea will never get ectasia because we took too much tissue out. It won't. That is what was being done all over the world, leaving 300 microns in the bed. Dan, can I get you to describe your study comparing LASIK to SMILE? Um, well, what we did was we, we uh, interrogated our database, um, and what we did was we matched LASIK cases with SMILE cases for the exact same sphere, cylinder, axis, patient age, intraocular pressure, um, and therefore tried to compare what we were doing and what the effect was on the LASIK eyes versus the SMILE eyes. So in totally matched. In other words, same patient walks in, gets SMILE in our clinic, same patient walks in, got LASIK in our clinic. And, you know, bearing in mind that we are each time trying to do the best we can for the patient. So looking at LASIK before we had access to SMILE. And what we found was, well, there were some obvious things that we found. We found that we were using larger optical zones in general, with SMILE than we were with LASIK. Uh, we were taking about 30% more tissue out of the cornea because of those larger optical zones. However, when we look at the percentage tensile strength remaining, we were always leaving more strength in the cornea with SMILE than with LASIK for ma in matched, matched controls. So even though we were taking 30% more tissue, we were leaving the cornea with about 30% more tensile strength. And then when we looked at the optical outcomes, the amount of spherical aberration induced, in fact, we were inducing 80% less spherical aberration with SMILE than we were with our hyper-modern, super-optimized, as best as you can get, eczema laser ablation profiles with a flap. So overall, telling us that thanks to the better mechanical advantage of SMILE, 
we are able to now treat in larger zones, still leaving, taking more tissue out, still leaving the cornea stronger than if we'd done LASIK, and induce a multiple of uh, reduction, uh, you know, 80% less spherical aberration for the same correction. Putting SMILE basically, you know, not even, not slightly better than LASIK, but an order, like almost, almost two orders of magnitude better than LASIK from an optical standpoint. Dan, were the changes in tensile strength um, a, a a calculation that that you made, or, or or could you could you actually measure strength in in vivo in these patients? No, well, no. What what we were doing was we were using the in vivo information about tensile strength of the human cornea, which we had from the Randleman sure. study, and we were calculating based on the cutting that we were doing what percentage change there would be in that tensile strength. So because we weren't we don't have a device. There is no commercially available device to measure tensile strength in the cornea. These are just these are complex, delicate research tools at the moment. What we were doing was um, uh, canceling out the fact that we didn't have the actual value of the tensile strength by dividing uh, the post-op from the pre-op and just reporting the tensile strength change as a percentage based on the depth. Let me um, sort of ground this back in uh, terms that are that are more relevant for uh, for us clinically. How does tensile strength relate to spherical aberration? I I, I wouldn't connect those two things uh, with one bar. Those are kind of like cousins. Mm-hmm. They're not brothers. Um, they connect. They they do connect, but with a one degree of separation. Basically, if you are performing SMILE, given that SMILE for the same, let's just say you got a minus 10 patient, for the same minus 10 correction, you can do a SMILE procedure in a 7 millimeter zone, taking out way more tissue than you would by an eczema laser in a 6 millimeter zone, but still leave the cornea stronger. And by virtue of the fact that you've treated in a 7 millimeter zone, you've given the patient far less spherical aberration as measured in the 6 millimeter zone, the optically active area of the cornea. So that's how they connect. Does that... Yeah, no, no, no. It makes sense totally. Now, Dan, to, 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 to put this in completely clinical terms, let me ask you, in your own clinical practice, for whom do you advocate PRK, for whom LASIK, and for whom SMILE? Well, um, at this point... Uh, and I'm sure that things will change even further, but at this point, the only patients that receive a surface procedure uh, from me are those who have anterior stro- coronal disease, uh, basement membrane dystrophy, recurrent erosion syndrome, scars that are affecting visual quality, um, irregularities on the surface of the cornea due to whatever reason. Um, they're the only people who have PRK. PRK is is for me a very, very, very rare event now. Uh, it only occurs in these, in these, in these special cases. Um, LASIK, uh, between LASIK and SMILE, uh, SMILE is not commercially available for treating hyperopia yet. So any patient who's got mixed astigmatism, a hyperopic component, or hyperopia, of course, gets LASIK. But in myopic treatments, 
pretty much as long as there isn't some reason why we can't do smile, uh, we do smile because it's just, uh, well, it's so much less invasive. Um, the one disadvantage of smile versus LASIK currently is the slightly slower visual recovery. It used to be a lot slower, and that was a great disadvantage, and that meant that, let's say, two, three years ago, we were only doing maybe 30% of our cases a smile. Now, 90, 95% of our myopic cases are now old, uh, basically, or let's say 100% are done by smile, unless there's a specific reason. Um, uh, smile takes place uh, with two... Uh, um, cuts done by a femtosecond laser. The eczema laser, therefore, is not present to smooth out one of the surfaces. And the interface is slightly more um, uh, frayed, if you like, once you separate the lenticle. And therefore, the time it takes for strongly remodeling the glycosaminoglycan pool to homogenize that interface is not instant, it's not as quick as LASIK overnight. It takes about a week or two. And so patients who might have a social reason for needing an immediate recovery um, of their contrast sensitivity, uh, we give them the option still of having LASIK, which is a fantastic procedure, and we love it. And, uh, I'm, you know, I would never speak against LASIK. I, if, I, if, we, if Smile had never come along, I'd still be very, very, very happy uh, doctor helping patients with LASIK. But now that we are able to do effectively correct the same amount of correction or even higher amounts of correction. And one thing we haven't mentioned is that we're not cutting the anterior stroma, so we're not cutting the corneal nerves. So we're not getting the same uh, reactive dry eye situation. We don't have corneal nerves that have to regenerate into the center of the flap. We don't have aggravation of myoglobin gland dysfunction anymore. We are actually doing smile now in patients who have dry eye, who have low aqueous production. And we do it knowing that we're not going to make them change their dry eye status. We're not going to improve them, but we're not going to make them worse. And that's something which you'd have to be very brave to do LASIK in and quite brave to do PRK in. Dan, I, I want to truly thank you for, for uh, as always, being so fantastically generous with, with your time. You always ask the right questions in the right order. Dan Reinstein is medical director of the London Vision Center in London, United Kingdom. His paper, Comparison of Ocular Biomechanical Response Parameters in Myopic and Hyperopic Eyes Using Dynamic Bidirectional Applanation Analysis, appears in the June 2014 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Ask questions of Dr. Reinstein or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.